It's episode 30 of the Improv London podcast with this week's guest, Brendan Way. This ain't copy easy. Welcome to episode 30. I'm your host, Stuart Moses. Don't forget you can follow this podcast on Twitter via at Improv London and on Facebook via facebook.com slash Improv London. I had a great time talking to Brendan. We talk about all sorts of things, including how we got started in improv, about the nights he organises, Bracket Racket and Duck Duck Goose, and the groups to which he belongs, the Parentheticals and Improdacy. Brendan Wade, welcome to the Improv London podcast. Yay! <laughs> Once more of enthusiasm. Oh, I do the A's on my own. Yay! <laughs> Not showing myself, that sounds vain. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. How are you? I am good. <laughs> Delighted to be asked. <laughs> so early in my improv career. <laughs> um, well, uh, yes. So, what would you say that... Um, got you started in the world of improv? Well, looking back, essentially everything I've done has been a form of improv. Back when I was a kid at 11, I was in, no, 7, I was in a group for 11 years, a local community theatre, a device theatre, uh, it was called All Out. And the scripts would be written by adults, but the kids would do some prepared improvisation beforehand, and from that they take their ideas. Uh, I was really into, I'm sorry, I read that again, because my dad would play it in the car, and so whenever he rang up, I'd do a monologue at the top of the call. Um, and then it was only really in uni when I did drama at Winchester, and one of the modules is improvisation, and I was in a play, and they needed someone, and I saw this guy when we did improv, and he was really good, and he ended up being my comedy partner for the next few years, and I continue to work with him, and we now present at Duck Duck Goose. Ah. So uh, his name would be Dan Luxton. Hooray! At Dan Scrooge. <laughs> Excellent. That's going to make my show notes a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, edit that bit out. <laughs> no, that's very helpful. That is. So. <laughs> just email it. After. That would be no, that would be very helpful. I don't like to ask. You know, people are busy. I'm I'm rather busy. I'm one of those lucky bastards who can work part time uh, and then have the day free and then go to work for an evening. Living the dream, living the dream. Yeah, yeah. Because you previously discussed with Jack Black whether if you had no job would you have loads of energy? And I can confirm that you you do have a bit of energy, but you still need to click in and snap in when you get to the show <laughs> um, and still warm up. Yes, because I um, I often think that you know, I would be a really good improviser if I didn't actually have to go to work all day beforehand. But then maybe I wouldn't, and I'm just lying to myself. Well, I went to work yesterday, and it was a duck duck goose day yesterday, because that's every Monday. And I we, I, I was busy, and my, my feet hurt from a long shift, and then snapped in, duck duck goose, one of the best shows all round. Jammers were great. It was bank holiday. Jammers were great. I've just revealed what day it was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a non-specific Monday. No, it's no, fine. It's uh, fine. The jammers were great. The acts were great. All-round good show. So even though I was at work, it didn't affect me at all. Right. You just get a good packed room and a vibe, and that's all you need. Yes. No, I've uh, long resigned to myself the fact that uh, if I wait till I'm the optimum fitness, then I will never actually do yes. anything because I suspect my optimum fitness is a myth. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I talked to comedy writers and they said, oh, I wrote all my best stuff in my 20s and they're like 30s. It's like, 
okay, you, you really think that's it for you? Oh, well, give up the dreams. <laughs> um, so tell me more about your, your comedy part there. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, we were in more plays together. We uh, started podcasts. We like to pretend we were on Radio 4. Ah. So we both presented our own shows. And his show was a version of Whose Line Is It Anyway, but with his own games. Wow. And we were opposite team captains, and we roped in someone that we knew to host. Uh, are, they, are these podcasts still online? They are online at YouTube because SoundCloud has a limited uh, oh, right. capacity okay. if you don't pay for it. Well, we'll put uh, the link in the show notes. Not yeah, the, uh, the show's Little Imps. Little Imps, right, okay. Yeah, so we did uh, four episodes on a Christmas special, and that was 2013. And then when I went to London uh, for an internship and then moved there, I remembered uh, one of the stand- we co-hosted a stand-up night, the Late Train Comedy Night at Winchester, uh, I don't know if they have Twitter. Uh, and one of the one of the comedians we liked a lot, Max Dickens. That's Dickens with uh, I N S for some reason. Uh, at Max Dickens. I'm, I'm going to quit this game just in at. case I get <laughs> someone's tag wrong. Is that the Max Dickens or is that a different Max Dickens? Yeah, well, he teaches at Hoopla. Right. The so Max, I asked. Yeah. I consider him the Max Dickens. Yeah. Well, with that surname spelling, he probably is unique. Uh, so I remembered he did uh, improv, and I tried out stand-up, I tried out sketch with Dan. Neither of us, our hearts weren't really in it. So, so okay, let's break that down. What did you do when you were trying to stand-up? I did one-liners and puns. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, ironically, I couldn't improvise. <laughs> I learned it, I was too much like an actor, I learned to like a script, I couldn't deviate if someone had distracted me. Uh, and then Dan and I wrote sketches, but we never really wrote together. We wrote separately, and then we'd edit each other's sketches, and yeah. that was it. So did you ever perform them, or...? Yeah, yeah, no, we performed it at the night that we would host. Right, yeah. Um, but we did, like, script in hand. Like, his inspiration is Punt and Dennis, I was more Mitchell and Webb. He wants to go into radio dramas. I just wanted to work in the vague area of comedy. <laughs> and so suddenly it was like, oh, improv's this thing I've not tried. I asked Max what his school was, so I went to Hoopla in February 2015, which apparently, I've talked to a lot of improvisers, and that's when they started committing. Like, Chris Mead, like, dropped down from one work, and one day less uh, at work yeah. to do improv teaching more. Uh, Ella Sims got back into it, uh, and at Hoopla I met 14 people, no, I met 10 people, uh, there was 13 in the Hoopla course, but some dropped out, and then we all did, we all liked each other significantly enough that we did a course, uh, a second course together, both of Chris Mead, and then from there on we decided, shall we form a group? And this is the key to sticking together after your Hoopla course, or any course, is we just met in the same place, the, the uh, Theatre Delhi, which will unfortunately die at the end of June, uh, which will make every improviser homeless, essentially. <laughs> the amount of people I bump into there. Yes. No, it's very nice. I wish I could just go there and just sort of hang out, because I see like, loads of people I know who'd have a, like, yeah, a chat and stuff like that. Yeah, just hang a little uh, yeah, bit in the corner. Do they like that? Do they like just go, oh, I'm not going to use a room, I'm just going to sit in reception yeah. and yeah. chat. Is that all right? Is that, is that free? <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we met... We. We liked Wednesdays, we stuck to Wednesdays, we stuck uh-huh, to Theatre right. Delhaly, and we, we haven't stopped meeting since. We, that's yeah. really interesting, because I was thinking about that, actually, and I was thinking, uh, because I'm doing a musical improvisation course mm-hmm. with uh, Maria Peters and Phil Lund at the moment, and I'm thinking, ah, right, okay, so is the, the, the key to carrying on with that group of people well, you just answered the question, it's like, same place, same time, you just sort of carry on. Yeah, uh, what also helped is we had a, we've had since in the last 
a year we've been together two AGMs we had an AGM pretty much straight off the bat deciding do we like this group of people to hang and is the aim to learn how to do improv is it to perform together and so you've all got to be on the same page because we could have stayed as friends and not improv together yeah. or we could have just met every week to improv and just get better and then do nothing with it I mean, that's really interesting, is taking that time to define mm. what you want from the group and what the expectations are. And I think that's really interesting because then, you know, some people might think, well, you know, I like all the people in the group, but that's not actually for me. Yeah. Yeah, and no, we, we started out as 14 and uh, one person has since left because they didn't like performing anymore. Mm. Uh, someone's on hiatus because uh, they've got a packed schedule and they can't fit it in. Uh, but and everyone's got very various levels of commitment. I'm I'm doing improv three nights a week. <laughs> I got one of our guys, Ollie, is a father of twins. He obviously has less time to commit. Um, but that's okay. Some people I'll expect to see every week. Some people to pleasure when they turn up. Mm. So where did the where did the AGM kind of idea or or just the idea of being really specific about what you were trying to achieve come from? Oh, good question. I don't remember the answer. Oh, I assume enough. it was, how do we keep doing this because we love it so much. Right. But it's, it's, what I find interesting is that you kind of actually didn't just sort of carry on. You actually sort of said, right, which I think is brilliant. This is kind of mm. what we're aiming to do. Right? That's really interesting. Well, we need we need also need to focus. It's like, well, now Chris Mead isn't teaching us anymore. What do we do? So we had to find coaches. And before you have coaches, you need to define what you wanted to do as a group or as a collective. Uh, we've had a bunch of coaches since Chris, uh, Liam Brennan from Science of Living Things, Mark Rule from Science of Living Things, Connor Jatter, Tom Webster, RH Experience, great, lovely group. They're all lovely, the RH, one of my favourites. Uh, we've got, at the moment, John Agnew uh, from the rebranding, and uh, but my favourite moment is uh, Mike Hutchison, who's doing our spin-off group uh, in Prodigy, which is ten of us, or at the moment, eight of us, um, doing a narrative quest. Oh, okay. All right. We'll come back to them. Sure. Let's talk about... Oh, yeah, you haven't named your main group yet. Oh, yeah. The, oh, it, oh, okay. The parentheticals. <laughs> and that was part of the AGM, is like what... It's really difficult to name an improv group because they can be literally anything. It really does not matter. Like the RH experience, they cannot remember what the RH stands for. Um, I have often wondered that. I've never actually spoken to any of them yet. It's long love to, but... since been forgotten. Time. <laughs> I imagine it's Richard Herring. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be lovely. Right. Even though he's not part of the group. Well, no, but the Richard Herring experience, that could be a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's probably Richard's next podcast. He makes so many. Uh, yeah, in our AGM, we had lots of dumb names, like... I don't seem like the first drafts people have when they devise a sketch show. So what was like Hotel Chocolate, or something involving Frog. One, we almost went with Marjorie's Jackals, which was... <laughs> that sounds like it's an anagram or something. Uh, oh, yeah, no, it was it was an in-joke from a scene we'd done like a few weeks ago. But the problem with that is not everyone had been in that room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want to joke that only half the people know. <laughs> and so we devised small scenes that session and had something like Gotham Wives. And then... <laughs> One of the names was Enter Parenthesis, no, Open parent, open Parenthesis. Yes. Which we thought sounded a bit poncy, so we simplified it to the parentheticals, which sort of worked because we were doing Armando, which uh, spins off from a story. So brackets, you're aside to the main thing. It sort of made sense what we were doing. So could you define what you understand an Armando to be? Uh, I understand it is the... The default in the long form course 
uh, with Hoopla, it is a monologue from which you pull scenes. Right, right okay. So you get the one word suggestion, but that inspires a speech instead of scenes directly. And what was it that drew the group to that? That is just what we knew. Oh, right, cool. Yeah, we had no preference. We've since realised, oh, we don't have to do Armando's. We've done them for a few months and coasted, and we're experimenting at the moment with French braid, which is what the Science of Living Things do, which uh, instead of sweep edits, it's essentially turning up and down the volume of a scene. So you just step forward and speak up, and the others drift back. Because we had them at Bracket Racket, which we'll also get to. Um, <laughs> And we talked about their set ever since because we were so excited by their format. Oh, you don't have to do clumsy sweep edits where you run across yeah, the stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. which at our venue, the Star of Kings, isn't great because it's a small stage and we're a big group, so you can't really <laughs> run in front without worrying about bumping your low ceiling or tripping. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're, so we're essentially doing... The French Braid uh, is... Uh, it's essentially Harold without the group games. Oh, right. Um, and you always return to those three beats. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but we're trying to make it that the third beat is a bit more chaotic. Right. Because the third beat of the Herald is the universes collide, even if it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always found that interesting because because I now know what Harold is, I can see the strings, I know how the magic trick works. I'm less impressed by a Harold because I know, well, this now it's beat two, and if I remember, that was the claustrophobic mouse. Um, and so it's just weird that we've ended up essentially doing heralds but we're going to put our own spin on them cool oh. i don't have anything against heralds it's just it takes a lot to impress me because i am now every time i see an improv show i go i see they pulled that from that quirk in the speech <laughs> yes. and that anecdote has now been transformed into is it not possible to still be impressed even if you understand how the magic is done i still laugh oh, right, i still yeah. find what they're doing funny yeah yeah it's just, I'm, I, in my head, I'm guessing what comes next. That's interesting. I, I've tried doing that when watching shows as kind of a way of getting more practice. Mm. So if I'm watching a show and I think, okay, if I was in that and I was listening to that monologue, mm. what would I take? What was shiny? Yeah, what yeah. was the shiny thing? What would I put in my pocket? Um, yeah, it's a good way of sort of practicing. Yeah, it means you're less active as an audience. Well, it makes you more active as an audience member, but... Yeah. Does that take you out of it when watching it? I think, actually, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm probably more engaged. I don't know. Hmm. I suppose I'm listening because even if I, even if I spotted the shiny thing that I wanted to bring back... Hmm you don't always get to bring the shiny thing back, so you still need to listen no. to the other shiny things that people saw. We should perhaps define what we mean by shiny things. Uh, sh the shiny thing is the interesting uh, quirk in the speech or the, the, the catchphrase that got the biggest laugh or an unusual trait of something in an anecdote. Have you not previously described a shiny thing in a... Episode. Yeah, I don't think we have. Okay. And also, um, it's interesting because everybody has their own slight different interpretation okay, of what something is. So you know, um, shiny thing. I thought you meant jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> there were no necklaces in that monologue. <laughs> Bad improv. <laughs> you are fired from the improv scene. You are no longer handing your badge and your gun, which you've got to hold in the right way. Oh, anyway. 
visual joke. Not even that funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right, so you, we've got the parentheticals, yes. and aren't there? A, there are quite a lot of people in the parentheticals. We we've been because we're all hoopla class. Yeah, we've been independently described by two people as the Blazing Squad. Of <laughs> and I very much see you as the Lisa Mafia. I hope you don't say that the wrong way. As uh, someone who doesn't know music or rap, uh, thank you. <laughs> I know I probably was too young for them. <laughs> I've always been a comedy nerd. I've not. I don't really have albums to listen to, like music albums. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never really seen a band live. Comedy's always been my jam for a long time. So music, I've. I'm aware of these artists. <laughs> I may not necessarily have realised I'm listening to them. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting, Richard Herring. Uh, talks about that as well, and how not being particularly into music, but always having those sort of comedy albums and stuff like that. That's um, another way of, because I'm very much into my music, and I suppose I, I don't know, maybe I haven't come to comedy yet. (laughs) (laughs) And I've come to uh, improv uh, through a different route. uh, Well, I mean, improv is essentially comedy jazz. It's comedy jazz? Yeah. Does it have to be comedy? No, um, uh, uh, what are they called? A Million Thousand Love Stories, Jules yeah. and Heather, that's quite serious. You know, the instinct is to go to comedy. In fact, my instinct was comedy because having come from sketch, my instinct was get the premise out and the joke out in the first line. Yeah. And one of the things that Mike uh, has ironed out, not ironed out me, or made me aware of is if you, if you try to be the smartest guy in the room, the funniest guy straight out, then what, where can they build from? And Liam also pointed out in Armando's, if your monologue yes. is essentially a stand-up bit, you're already doing the funny, yes. where is your group going to go? Yes. So I, I'm now much more aware that I should just do a more naturalistic, organic opening. Yes. I should still specify the premise, but I shouldn't, you know, yes. be wry about the, <laughs> the prompt. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to burn through all the material because everyone's going, oh, brilliant, I've got, oh, he's, he's yeah. done, he's done that, done yeah. that, done that. Yeah, and I like the, the permission you get to, um, you know, to be boring, uh, but truthful. Um, and ironically, the truth is very, very, very boring. Yeah, um, one of the things John Ankerby did with us is uh, TJ and Dave's uh, Heat and Wait, oh, yeah, which yeah. is have an emotion uh, with your scene partner, uh, no, decide on one, turn to face your scene partner and just observe what position in the room you are, what body language is, and then from there build the scene. That was quite interesting. Uh, I've done it, I've done that exercise with uh, one parenthetical's Chris, and both times... I think he's instigated it both times. We've ended up as gay lovers right, who are okay. arguing because one of us has cheated. Oh, it was it the same person that had cheated both times? Uh, no. Okay, that's probably right then. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> so if we form a double act, that is probably what it would be. <laughs> I think that would be very insane. Uh, so um, you know, the parentheticals were created and you've gone on to start your own night. Was that not terrifying step uh, well it came from a logical place and there's 14 of us and we're never all going to be in the same room or get to perform that often so we might as well have our own night where we can give ourselves essentially two slots we do it overtly covertly even um, <laughs> until now uh, yeah well the, the show just gone is literally us in two and a half slots because we're also doing the uh, debut of Improdacy, right. uh, one of which we're performing the night this episode goes out. Uh-huh. Uh, what tonight? 
Yeah, the 15th. So you're going off to do a show after this? Yeah, I'm going to the Miller. Rock and roll. Launchpad. It's a launchpad tonight. Yeah. On a Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, what? Isn't launchpad on... No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Delete that bit. No, it's oh. on a Wednesday. The 50, you always release shows on a Wednesday. Oh, I always see you were doing that thing where you... Oh. <laughs> That was an Delete example that. Delete that. of, of Delete the guest <laughs> being really clever and uh, bamboozling the uh, interviewer, <laughs> who sometimes adopts a faux naive way of no a naive outlook on life to ask questions, and then sometimes is just really naive. And seen. <laughs> um. I was like. At Launchpad on a, on a Tuesday? <laughs> What's going on? I mean, I'm already confused enough because it's a bank holiday yesterday, so I don't know what. Anyway. Um, let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. So, uh, Star of Kings. Star of Kings, Bracket Racket. We started that because, uh, yeah, we wanted to give ourselves two slots. We decided it was a bit... The, originally, the joke was, we are parentheticals, we shall bracket the night. We'll start ah. first and last. We, we have since dropped that. Oh. Um, it's not really a joke anyone picked up on or we drew attention to. So we start, we will perform once in the first half, uh, usually with the Armando, now we'll do the French Braid. And then at the end we have an audience jam, except it's competitive and there will always be uh, half and half parentheticals on each side uh, and the other half is public. Oh, right. Oh, okay. So you're Following the Dota Goose model of you always need some jam captains to yes. pull in the newbies. Because most of the time it, the audience at Bracket Racket and hopefully we'll move beyond this, is our, our co-workers and friends, um, and they've never done improv, and they just put each other's names in the hats, <laughs> or they think, oh, I can do that, and they come up. Um, it would be great. What, for improv to break mainstream in the UK, obviously in Chicago and the States, it's big already, we need to attract the non-improv crowd, because most shows, and we're aware of this, we're performing to each other. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll go to the Miller on a Friday, Saturday night. We'll go to Dr. Goose on a Monday. We'll go to Genre Claude on a Sunday. We, we go to each other's shows because it's a jam. Yes. But we also need some people who aren't there <laughs> who just want to watch. Yes. It's, that, it's like stand-up, but you don't get picked on. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in how we do grow the audience because, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Mm. Uh, and it's perfectly legitimate to perform to other improvisers. But, yeah. yes, how do we get people who wouldn't necessarily watch improv to come and watch improv. Yeah, I think it's best if they just accidentally discover it. Like one of the Bracket Rackets, an, an entire birthday party was upstairs and they decided to come watch the show. So they really? were like two-thirds of the audience and they stayed for both halves. Wow, that's great. That's yeah, and you can nice. also do the old, if you're in the pub just beforehand, go, if you don't know, there's a show upstairs, it's free, you can come watch. And that gets a few people. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're already there. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like they have to leave the house. And they don't have to pay. And, and they can always if leave they if like, they don't like yeah, it. And if they, yeah, well, during the second half, yeah. you know, it's, oh, it's less people now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you convert like two people a week from a show and they'll come back, that's great. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. So who, who or how did you get in contact with the Star of Kings? How was that? We had uh, performed with Postscript, which is a, another Chris Mead group that came for Hoopla and stayed together. And they performed with us, no, they had us on at the Star of Kings. And when Charles from the Crown Deck was looking at venues, it was like, well, we've, we've performed here, let's ask. And they gave us 
three shows uh, with our deposit and then they just haven't returned the deposit because we pulled in a crowd within two shows and we've kept going for the rest of the year. So, so they, they wanted you to pay a deposit? Or? You pay a deposit and if you don't uh, bring enough people, yeah, they'll give it back or something. Or they'll ask how much that was? 50 quid. Right, okay. Which was a fair deal. Between, again, you divide anything between a big group. So between 14, it was nothing. Yeah, the weight of numbers. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Even if we drop a few, all costs are split. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, like we're doing the Camden Fringe in uh, August this year, 2016. And yeah, 10 people, you split the higher cost and the, the uh, price of being the programme, you're easy. It's only a few quid each. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll probably make it back. Because again, 10 people, each sell four tickets, you've, you've broken even. I'm, I'm really getting on board with this large group idea. This <laughs> <laughs> is uh, definitely the Stick way Stick with forward. your music people, Stick with your music people, yes. Yeah, so See, I've got your name in. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good, because I very rarely remember but then it's not about me it's about the guests so that's the main thing I think for your like a hundredth show it should be about you <laughs> it's all about me <laughs> I mean I think so anyway. uh, why do you think I'm on every episode uh, uh, so the opposite is true sometimes you edit yourself out of the episode so it's just the guest talking well sometimes uh, if um, if I can just sit there and listen to the guest and I don't say anything I'm also I'm also happy with that that's yeah. also fine yeah some of them are naturally loquacious and uh, the episode I last listened to was Angela and Leanne and obviously they're a double act so they can just talk amongst themselves yeah do you think we could persuade them to do like a regular podcast because I would like I'd just listen to them talk it was just brilliant I, I love their character so much it's one of my new favourite shows Sandy and Danny alright cool excellent yeah I saw them at Dutta Goose and then I saw them at Jean Record the following weekend Fantastic format. Did the format change from Duck Duck Goose to genre Claude Van Damme? No, they just did a slightly longer slot. Oh, right. Okay. So they, uh, they have, did they explain their format on the show? Yes, they did. Okay, yes. so they just did three dates instead of two. Right, okay. Yeah, okay. no change whatsoever. No, I'm just, I'm just curious because, you know, the, I'm not trying to stir up rivalry between Duck Duck Goose and genre Claude Van Damme, but, you know, you are the two regular, the most regular yes. nights with, with... Well, the, the night I went, it was actually... I went with half the Duck Duck Goose team. Yeah, so yeah. it was the jam meets the other jam. Yeah. How did that play out? That was good. Uh, <laughs> we, enjoy, we, enjoyed, we enjoyed ourselves a lot, and the thing about that jam was it was a really popular jam, so the second jam was like a dozen people plus the acts it was very difficult to be in yeah. uh, because there's so many good people and yeah. everyone should be in once and, yes. and genre called Van Damme making sure people are in so they're also in the jam but it, it was fun it was chaos but I, I, I preferred watching the acts that night right fair enough but yeah. whenever I'm not in a jam that just encourages me the next day and the next day was Dr. Goose so I really threw myself into the jam so sometimes you have to have a quiet jam to then want to come back. Yes, no, that makes sense, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, you mentioned um, being a jam captain at the, yes. at, um, the parentheticals, but that's also something you do at Duck Duck Goose. Do you just want to kind of explain what you mean by that? Yes, what I mean is every jam will have some of the Duck Duck Goose presenters, um, partly because they want to jam, but also just to just to shape scenes or to pull on people who haven't been in yet. Yeah. So you want everyone to leave having a good time and to have looked good. And if you make them look good, 
and give them just one scene, then we've done our job. It's not about us. That was the big transition from going from a uh, audience member of Duck and Goose to a host. Was uh, the jam's less about you? Uh, there's you know there's admin. You've got to make sure that everyone's involved instead of trying to steal every scene. <laughs> yes. Yes, that would be awful uh, to go along to a jam anywhere and just like, yeah, yeah, yeah have, to. have the host dominate, yeah. So really, the thing I most enjoy at Dutter Goose at the moment, where I feel I shine better is the two-person scene because it's just you and a partner yeah. and nobody's going to tag in. Yes. And if one of you has a great idea, you roll with it. Yes, yes. So that's, that's where I have the most... Not that the jams aren't fun. And I have come... I, I hit a wall for a while getting to my head about I need to pull people on. But I've gone through the jam wall and I'm enjoying jam scan, but I still think two-handers are where I shine at the moment. Yes, um, I understand that. How did you get through your jam wall? Nothing specific. I just kept doing jams. Yeah. Just like in a marathon, if you hit the wall, just keep running. Yeah. I have to say, with jams, I've found that now, that I just kept doing them and they sort of became less painful and now I even kind of quite enjoy them. Great, well done. <laughs> Not as much as I enjoyed two-person scenes, but anyway. Uh, um, okay, brilliant. So, um, yeah, how did you how did you um, ascend from being an audience member of Duck Duck Goose to being on the Hallowed Elite? Well, um, in between Hoopla courses, there was like this horrible month where there was an improv every week. What? Yeah. What? And I didn't have a job at that point, so I was like, what am I meant to look forward to? Chris Mead had mentioned Duck Duck Goose was a thing, and so I went along, and then I enjoyed it so much, I went back week after week, <laughs> and they said, oh, you're here, you're good, do, do you want to be part of the team? And they, they hired the rest of us, Steph, Amar, Dan, oh yeah, I invited Dan Luxton, who I previously mentioned, along, and he has since joined the team. So yeah, literally, if you want to be a host of Duck Duck Goose, turn up every week and be good. <laughs> They'll help you put out chairs, you, you help them put out chairs, though. Yeah they'll invite you. <laughs> Disclaimer, that may not necessarily happen. <laughs> Please don't try this. But if we expand, you know, we'll think of you. <laughs> Are the plans to expand? It's, it's always tempting, but the fact is, due to sheer geography, um, most of our presenters live in the south, so they would own the Brixton night. And then I wouldn't get to see them. <laughs> we love each other so much that we're in a house team, uh, Dark Tales, which I'll mention <laughs> later. I'm so glad we're trying to do this chronologically, else I would definitely forget one of my three and a half groups. <laughs> I say half because being a Dark Cruise presenter isn't necessarily a team. You're obviously in a collective, but you're not. You're not. Your sole aim isn't to perform. I mean, but I think it's it's important to uh, maybe communicate the fact that if you do take part in a Duck Duck Goose jam uh, or indeed a parentheticals um, jam that you know there are people uh, looking out for you because a jam is a terrifying thing oh yeah uh, it's chaos yeah especially the ones at Duck Duck Goose if they go on second and the night's running a bit long they are those tend to suffer you've got to be really high energy and pull people through yeah, yeah. like uh, I one of our jams uh, it went on after uh, I think we finished 10.30 the final show um, but yeah all the scenes were like written off as people were, people were tired in it showed yeah. so all the scenes were written off as like 
product of drugs or <laughs> people being drunk or dreams and that is <laughs> that just undermines any premise <laughs> it just ends up surreal nonsense I thought I'd done the worst improv ever but I wasn't there that night oh everyone's done the worst improv ever <laughs> and nobody cares and it doesn't matter and I think that's you it's know. fleeting it, it, yeah I saw something on uh, probably Twitter it said the best thing about improv scenes is they're over uh, no they happen once and then they're gone and the worst thing about improv scenes is that they happen once and then they're gone yes so uh, we've got the parentheticals yes and you have a spin-off group from the parentheticals yes uh, a few of us decided we'd quite like to do Greek epics and what this became actually that was discussed in the first AGM as well who wants to be in the spin-off uh, <laughs> what it actually became was a more general narrative show with quests, which was great because not everyone has degrees or knowledge of Greek myths, so it's better to be have a, not a more specific uh, uh, idea. Uh, so it's no longer genre, but it is narrative and it is a quest, and the premise is we ask for an object and that becomes the object and a tit, the, tit, the titular... <laughs> That becomes, <laughs> that becomes the object of the quest and we have a narrator and who guides it's essentially side coaching narrating um, wow. but you also get to pimp people out you yeah, know yeah, yeah, in yeah. slow motion they do push ups <laughs> they go on to name five other animals that can't jump um, and that's we got Mike on board for that because Charles and I had previously been in Duck Duck Tales together uh, Charles since dropped out because he's in three groups total right and needs a night off <laughs> yes uh yeah that's the thing if you've loved ones uh you don't get to see them that often <laughs> unless they come to your show and that's a bit of an ego trip <laughs> watch me be brilliant darling uh, yeah so charles and i were like well we need a narrative coach mike is good should we get him so i'm now being coached for mike productive tales which i'll move on to and in prodigy and it's the most fun ever because we've worked together for a year as the parenthetical, so we've already got a great chemistry. And it's just learning the form of stories and making them as simple as possible. Yeah. Yes. Like Mike always uses the example, don't don't do something like you need to get the ring to the sand <laughs> king and he'll release the princess from the dragon. Just the story can be as simple as uh, Sam needs a new pair of shoes for prom. <laughs> You can still have interesting characters he yes. bumps into on the way. You can still have someone who wants to stop him getting shoes. So, yeah, at the moment we're just learning narrative. And also, uh, Mike said we're in a unique place because there isn't actually that many single-tale narrative. Um, Glitch does it, and he's in yes. Glitch. Ostentatious does dual narrative. Yes. Um, Showstoppers does usually a love story. Yes. So focusing on one protagonist on a quest in the UK's London improv scene is actually not many people are doing it. So how um, how much do you actually structure it? So if you've got a protagonist, do you yes. have allies and things like that? They're key, they're key parts of the journey. We don't decide those, but though we have been told there's threshold guardians, like uh, yeah. someone who would get you, like a boat driver uh, would get you from A to B. Uh, yeah, our allies, uh, the shadow, which would be uh, like your enemy. Yeah, right, yeah. So yeah, we're aware of these archetypes and the roles that we may need to fill, but again, it's completely up to us, as long as we follow a basic story. 
uh, that's fine. And how do you manage time-wise? Uh, we are going. To, we we're learning how to do it for fifteen minutes, yeah. and our narrator has a stopwatch. Ah, right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we're we're working on nailing the fifteen-minute story. Then we'll expand it to twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We've got a run. Of, we've just finished a run of gigs in June. Uh, we put ourselves on bracket racket. Easy. We run that. <laughs> uh, we I booked us for Duck Duck Goose, and I did actually do an email <laughs> chain from both sides of the conversation just to prove <laughs> that it's been booked well you emailed yourself yes hi brendan how am i i'm very well thank well, you well i emailed much. well i have access to the duck goose email as do we <laughs> all in the team and then launchpad i mentioned just i emailed steve rose saying oh mike's our coach and he was like oh yeah brilliant there's not enough narrative so he booked us for two consecutive launch pads oh, that's cool. including today june the 15th <laughs> actually the best bit is um one of these gigs is actually, or was, on my birthday. So I actually get to perform with one of my current favourite teams in one of my favourite improv venues, because the Miller, it has all the shows. It's, one of, it's the closest we've got to a consistent venue yes. in London. Yes. So yeah, my favourite group, my favourite show on my birthday, brilliant. Last birthday, 2015, was a Dutta Goose. It's like brilliant. Improv <laughs> birthdays are the best. But you are doing improv most nights of the week. Uh, yes. Uh, Improvisy meets Wednesdays, Thursdays is Parentheticals, and Mondays Dutta Goose. And if I go to a show beyond that, you know, that will probably be genre chord because I work at the weekends. Right, yes. Yeah. Other people have outside interests and girlfriends. I don't. I think about... People ask, what do I do during my days when I'm not at work? I'm usually improv admin. Right, okay. So, oh yeah, let's talk about the admin side of things, because it's not glamorous, but it is the bit that needs to be done yeah. to get the groups going, to keep the groups going. Yeah, uh, that, uh, again, going back to the AGM, we, we've got someone who books rooms and does the finances, we've got someone who books our own gigs, we've got someone who, uh, Charles also, yeah, sorry, Charles is the person who books our gigs, but also the guests for Bracket Racket. Right, I'm yeah. in charge of social media. We've got like half of us uh, have responsibilities within the team, which makes it a lot easier for the people who are more casual to yes. just turn up and have fun. Uh, yeah, some of us are taken on, and that's what I do during the day. I, I'm technically in charge of festival booking, so I've organised our Camden Fringe slot. Yeah. Yep, I, I've started doing bookings for Improdicy, uh, and I also do the social media. And a lot of times, as well as emailing myself, I will tweet at each other. Oh. Like, I'll, I'll tweet from myself <laughs> saying, oh, I'm doing this show and I'll do a bad pun, and then the Parentheticals account will disown me. <laughs> uh, so, um, how do you run the finances? How do you... How, so, for the Parentheticals, yes. presumably there's room hire... Room hire, coach, coach hire... hire is it just split equally between the each It member? is split equally. If you're in Prodigy, that's an extra cost and a right. separate cost. Uh, we've just, after our second AGM, our second in a year and a bit, uh, we, we decided we'll go for quarterly membership fees. So oh. we'll just pay a, pay a lump sum. Yes. And then we'll adjust it according to what our costs are. Right, okay, yes. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting to get that. So if people... So yeah, if you pay for a certain period of time and then if people don't turn up, it's like they're losing out. Well, yeah, the, the great thing about the parentheticals is we've described it in our AGM as the mothership. It's the umbrella company. You can always return to it. You can leave it. You can be just in Improdicy. Um, yeah, you can perform at Bracket Racket with either 
You uh, mean you're very much the funkadelic of the improv world. Oh, never mind. Again, not big into music. <laughs> <laughs> so funkadelic were this big uh, 70s kind of funk band and there were like a million people in them and they all went off and had their own uh, okay. sort of albums and it was all under the same umbrella sort of thing. <laughs> Well, that's and uh, you actually inadvertently raised a good point about the parentheticals, and that we don't really crossbreed with other groups. Um, Charles and Nat from Parentheticals are working on a group with uh, Ellie from Giggle Loop. Um, obviously, Which is called uh, Butter Trumpet. Hey, I've not heard of Butter Trumpet. Uh, they're still experimenting, as far as I'm aware. Right. Okay. Um, obviously, I'm in Duck Duck Goose. Beyond that. We don't really network that much. We don't go to gigs that much. Well, some of us do. I, I obviously go to gigs. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not bragging. I'm not... <laughs> that's, that's not me being snooty to the others. Um, <laughs> Only they were more like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why can't they make it their entire life? <laughs> yeah, so not everyone has heard the parentheticals. Not everyone, if I told you all their names, would know them. Uh, I have written them down just in case I forget one because I don't know who would be pissed if I forgot them. And there are a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, a 14, uh, used to be 14, now it's 12, yeah, <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we don't cross-pollinate, we don't jam that often, uh, a few of us do, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're in our own separate circle, essentially. And is that a deliberate choice or is that just the not way things have worked not out? A, it's just the way things have worked out because yeah. people have other outside interests. Wow. Sounds healthy. <laughs> outside interests, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do they then take inspiration from those outside interests so that they're not just recycling improv into their improv? Um, that was maybe slightly sarcastic in the like, <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to have outside interests, but where do they find time? How do they manage to do that? <laughs> oh, I have plenty of time for outside interests. I'm just not interested. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I'm in part of the London Comedy Writers, which is just a group that uh, workshops and reads sketches and sitcoms. Oh, right, cool. And since I, I joined them before I did improv in London, and since I've started improv, I've really written very few sketches because that need to create is already being sated instead of me versus a blank page it's me with a bunch of friends creating something organically that exists in the moment you can't go back to sketches and actually one of our parentheticals Kate is uh, on a comedy writing course and does still write sketches and a few of us did at one point try to work on a sketch show oh no actually we did we did a sketch slot at the Pretty Faces gig oh yeah uh, in the Betsy Trotwood on the same night that the other parentheticals were performing at Launchpad. One of the advantages of a big group, you can literally be in two places at once. I mean, you're very much like Osric Tentacles in that respect. Um. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to have to ask you to explain. They were a band that had had so many members over the years that had come and gone that they could legitimately play two gigs at separate places nice. at the same time because they... <laughs> that has become... The game of the podcast is me now making yes. uh, music. Uh, that's the music shiny reference. thing. That's, the, that's my shiny thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting what you say about how um, the parentheticals, you don't see them in, you know, lots of other groups. And although it's just the way things have worked out, it would be interesting if that were a choice. Oh, no, it's... It's not deliberate at all. No. We're not we're not saying oh we're not good enough or that or, or we don't like them. No no but it's just like 
it's something I find exciting when I see a group and you know much as I love everyone on the improv scene you know they all they all by and large are universally lovely yes um, but like you know oh, I've seen that person I haven't seen them in this combination but I've seen that person before but then when you see a whole group and you've never seen any of those people before I find that really exciting it's amazing yeah I mean it doesn't happen often because Dada Goose has literally every act so I have seen most people in more than one group yes, yes. and that's fair enough yeah you know. Um, don't know their names, but I've seen them. <laughs> yeah, and you know, people shouldn't have to be exclusive uh, to one group. But it just if you know, if that were a specific decision, no, no, no it's just it's just time commitments. Yeah. There's only so much energy they have from working at nine to five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, cool. So you you tried sketches at the Pretty Things. Uh, pretty faces. Yes. Good. <laughs> so. You tried sketches at the Pretty Faces. Yes. Um, was that a successful experiment, or uh, did you learn anything from it? Well, it came about because... Uh, I actually, I don't remember. It, <laughs> it came about because we'd seen the guy behind the show, Andrew? And he, Andrew, and he asked whether we wanted to do sketches, and we'd never done sketches as a group before, so we literally cobbled something together in a month. Right. Um, and after we didn't really do it because I think mainly because of improdicy. Right. And it would have been another night we'd have to take up. Yes. To meet and and improv's our jam at the moment. Yes. No, that sounds fair enough. That sounds fair enough. And of course, the pretty things are an obscure. The pretty faces. Yeah, but the pretty things are an obscure seventies rock band. So in a way, no, it was rubbish. I'm trying to retcon it into. So, uh, yes, okay, well, we've mentioned Duck Duck Tales a few times. Yes. Please explain Duck Duck Tales. Sure. Uh, one of the acts that was brought over because of improv journeyman Mark Tyndall. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Wah. He said the thing. Wah. He said the thing. Uh, I have also written down uh, all the members of Duck Duck Goose just in case I forget them. Uh, uh, one of the people he brought over from Austin, the hideout theatre, was... Oh, what is it called? Uh, it, well, it was a choose-your-own-adventure format, but they couldn't legally call it that, so they called it something else, which currently eludes me. <laughs> right, okay. So, who, who, who devised the original version of the DuckTales Duck format in America? Uh, Peter Rogers and Lindsay McGowan at the hideout theatre devised it. Cool. They performed at Dr. Goose with uh, some of our some of our team and uh, people we drafted in. So Mike Hutchison, Fran Reed, uh, Arfie Mansfield, and they performed it and enjoyed it. And they were like, "Well, this should be a thing." So we decided, "Oh, we'll do it as the presenters of Dr. Goose," which at this point is seven, but only six of us wanted to do it. And it's like, well, we've, let's get some more people who we like working with. So we got Arfie, we got Ella Sims, and we got Mike in as coach. And Mike uh, ended up narrator through a fluke, uh, but he'll since transfer that power to uh, Arfie and I. Ah. The great thing about being coached by Mike in two groups is he will do a game with Improdicy, and then two weeks later he'll do it with Dark Dog Tales, and I'm like... Well, I, I know a few tricks here. <laughs> Doesn't always work out, but I do have a slight advantage. <laughs> it is sometimes nice to be really good at the game and just 
pick it up straight away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I have done the narrator role. I will, for Improdicy, I will do the narrator role. None of us would say it's our favourite thing, but it's a necessary point of our format that we yeah. have instigated. It's interesting that both of those sort of spin-offs have both got a narrator. Which yes. Which I don't think is that common. Oh, no. Well, for the Choose Your Own Adventure, it's necessary because you do need to guide the audience to say, all right, they've thrown up two things. Should they kill their mum or should they save a cat? I, I should explain the save, format. Save a cat would be... Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, explain the format. <laughs> I think Save the Cat is a narrative book Mike recommended for us. Yes, it is. Save the Cat, yes. Yeah. An yes. unwitting reference there. <laughs> wasn't trying to be clever. <laughs> Which is what Mike told me to. <laughs> uh, uh, Dark Duck Tales is a genre-led choose your adventure. So we get a genre from the audience. We also get a title. Film noir. And Mike says in his opening scam bit, not film noir. Oh, I love film noir. I got into improv for film noir and everyone's... I mean, I like it as well. I'm currently <laughs> working on a set of scripts that I hope to cast some improvisers in, and it is a film noir. Wow. And it's sort of like I'm trolling the community who <laughs> don't want to do film noir, and I'm going to invite them to be in a film noir. <laughs> so, yeah, we get a title, we get a, a genre... Uh, the first three shows ended up being a sci-fi for some reason. <laughs> yes. But Mike would always get a hybrid, so it was sci-fi buddy cop and sci-fi Bollywood. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's in- yeah, no, actually, that's really interesting, getting the two ideas and then putting them together, because then you've got, I suppose it's a bigger pools to draw from and you create something original because you're putting two things that don't necessarily go together together? Uh, yes. It's also very difficult because the uh, having to fulfil a title in a genre, let alone two genres, is exceptionally difficult. Yes. Uh because the title throws up a quest and that's a third element, whereas in Prodigy is, this show is about this quest for this thing. Um, and the fact that Dr. Tales is a choose and adventure makes it so much more harder because you organically, or else Mike will have to force a choice, you organically have to throw up some crossroads where something could happen or something or equally interesting could happen. And much like a choose and adventure book, you can cheat. How can you cheat at a... By keeping your finger in page 299. Oh, yes, absolutely. If someone dies, we will go back to last choice. And in the last few shows, it's always been Arthur who's instigated. He's, he's a smart player. He, he, he can throw the narrative ball gently over to the next field, if that's not a confusing metaphor. Uh, instead of going, let's take the necklace of the Sand King to release the princess to the dragon, he'll go, oh, that book is in the library. And so you know... Okay, the narrator needs to say, the next scene is the library. Right, yes. So he does subtle moves like that. But in this example, he is often the one to kill people. So we go back to a choice. (laughs) (laughs) So um, when you say that um, being the narrator isn't necessarily your favourite role. Yes. is Is there a way you can prepare? How do you learn to be a good narrator? Apart from just looking out for those choices. Um, or is that it? We've just prepared by doing so many shows and rehearsals yeah. and being taught the story structure. Yeah, like anything, it comes through practice. You can just watch films and see the story structure. I've not done any big preparation. Uh, I, uh, tips, I would say, just uh, minimal. Mi- you don't want to set what the initiation is at the beginning. You don't want to say to... P 
people called Sarah and John in a factory in the 18th century knitting because then there's nothing to discover. Right, yes. It's much harder to come up organically with a game if you already know your physical action, your name, your location. So I set it minimally location and name or relationships. Right. Uh, and they should always be friends. That's what, that's what improv improvisers have been taught. They must be friends. Yes. Or else there's just too many questions. Yes, yes. Cool. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes, that sounds great. Okay, the big final, the big final question. Okay, improv's great, isn't it? That's not the question. <laughs> that one's rhetorical. That's a because rhetorical we all question. know, if you're listening to the show, it's bloody fantastic. <laughs> if you've listened this far and you don't like improv, um, brilliant. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> mainly going to be improv from now on but anyway um, from now on what were the other on. episodes about <laughs> 70s bands I just meant that if you were listening to this podcast thinking well this is all very well but I really want to hear Brendan talk about something that isn't improv it's still going to be improv for the rest of it yeah or, or comedy or comedy um, okay so looking to the future mm-hmm. for either you or the improv scene in London what would you like the future to hold? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? What do you want the improv London scene to look like? Well, I have actually written some of this down on my sheet as well. Hurrah. Uh, I think Camden Fringe this year, either with Improdicy or uh, Parentheticals, you've got to do Edinburgh now. A lot of acts are going up. RH have done it a bunch of times. Uh, a group I saw last night running amok from King's College London are going up after being together for two years. Glitch are going up for the first time in 2016. That just sounds... You lose a lot of money, you lose a lot of sleep, you go insane. But it just sounds brilliant. <laughs> I've been up as a spectator, but to do the full three weeks... And you probably necessarily wouldn't because we're such a big team, you would probably swap in and out. But doing a show every day, that's... Recently, I've two weeks running, I've done three gigs in four days each week and that's wow. great that's yes. the dream I mean we're not being paid for it but so much fun when a show goes well and you're surrounded by your mates afterwards to chat so definitely Edinburgh uh, I was reading uh, Katie Shute's blog and she said a great thing that uh, don't wait to be asked to do something they're not necessarily thinking of you just ask directly and so she mentioned specifically the asking to be in the Improvathon which is the 50 hour improv marathon and some people performed the whole three, two and a half days. And I saw just a single hour of it this year. And that looked like so much fun that I'd love to be in that. So in a few years, maybe even next year, just early on, she said, email early in the year just to see when the dates are and then maybe try and get in. Cool. Because that would be the ultimate. At the end of, I'm aware at the end of the two and a half days, you're not doing great improv. You're sleep deprived. <laughs> Everything would be nonsense. But it looks like so much fun. The people directing it, the guys behind Showstoppers, they give you your initiation at the beginning of the scene. They say, oh, and when the show I saw, Poirot is talking to... Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Poirot is talking to Alfred in the catering cart whilst the femme fatale tries to hide. And so instantly you know what you're doing. And it's really well-stretched. And it looks like so much fun. And the big names in it are Ruth Bratt and Justin Brett and... Pippa Evans and Carrie Adloy decide to just share a stage with them would be great. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. That was great. Ooh. That was perfect. Great. That was really cool. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>
say this. That's improv! <laughs>